Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode I'm delighted to be joined by Bryn Jones, Lead Manager on the Rathbone Ethical Bond Fund. Bryn joined Rathbones in November 2004 from Merrill Lynch, where he managed $2 billion of fixed income assets. He is a member of the Rathbone Strategic Asset Allocation Committee, non-executive chairman of Rathbone's Fixed Income Committee, and advisor to the Rathbone Banking Committee. He is a WMA representative for the Her Majesty's Treasury Debt Management Office Guilt Market Consultation Process. He has been a guest speaker at the Euro Money Bond Conference in London and at the Euro Money Bank Capital Conference in Amsterdam. He regularly appears on CNBC and Bloomberg TV and also sits on the IA Fixed Income Committee. So firstly, a very warm welcome to you, Bryn, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. Thank you. So in terms of the Rathbone Ethical Bond Fund, what are the sort of objectives uh, and investment style of the fund? Well, firstly, it's, uh, it's an ethical fund. So the objective is to generate long-term ethical and sustainable returns. It's an income play within the IA corporate sector. Uh, we'd like to generate lots of income. Um, so we are truly active. Uh, we take quite large conviction positions in certain names and certain sectors and other sectors we carry zero weights and uh, so so I'd say you know the the philosophy of the fund is to generate income with an ethical return uh, in a very active way and and, and that's what we try and deliver. And uh, obviously that there's still an ongoing debate as to what ethical is what are some of the things that uh, you would consider to be ethical investment? Yeah, so we have a we have a negative and positive screening process where we exclude certain assets. So these would be things like armaments, uh, weapons, environmental or high carbon impacts. So this is like cars, mining, oil, animal welfare. So a lot of pharmaceuticals, tobacco, and, and alcohol production of, not necessarily distribution of, uh, nuclear power, slightly controversial one, pornography, gambling, human rights, and predatory lending. If it has one of those ways of generating revenue, we won't invest in it. And then what we're trying to do is then look for a positive contribution. So these would be managing environmental impacts, human rights, provision of beneficial services, corporate community investment, employment opportunities, both gender, racial, green climate and sustainable bonds. And increasingly, I think since the fund was launched 18 years ago, we've just a pure negative positive screening. We're now sort of integrating more ESG into what we do in terms of our positive selection criteria as well. And I think that sort of transition from purely ethical to ethical sustainable has been ongoing over the last few years as we've been managing the investments that we make. So with that in mind and, and those fairly stringent measures that you mentioned, how does the sector allocation of the fund shape up? We're slightly overweight financials, and, and, and that's partly because of the sort of ethical nature sort of steered us towards those. But also, you know, since the Lehman's crisis, there's been a big improvement in the regulation of the banks, but also self-regulation of the banks. And a lot of the banks are driving towards zero carbon emissions, etc. So we're trying to support those banks, and which are doing things more ethically in the insurance space as well. So we're concentrating on investing quite heavily in the insurance space, particularly because not only... Um, do we feel they have a fairly ethical nature in terms of insurance policies? Without an insurance contract, you, would have, you wouldn't have social cohesion. But also, the, they generate some very good value. So we found some extremely good valuation in, the, in both these areas. Um, so they stack up to be the highest contribution. But then, we, you know, our next biggest will be things like social housing, renewable energy, uh, renewable infrastructure, supranational telecoms. 
and increasingly we're focusing a little bit more on, on the telecom and tech space software and services because obviously post covid and working from home environment and the fact that we're looking at things like smart cities etc a lot of that's going to be in the tech space so we can continue to, to look to expand that area you mentioned banks which are of particular in interest to, to our customers and, and for, for the avoidance of doubt we're talking about a bond fund here uh, because obviously in terms of dividends on the ordinary shares um, the banks have pretty much got their hands tied behind their backs for the time being and, and that's actually you know what's good for a bondholder might not actually be good for an equity holder and vice versa you know we don't like banks paying out massive dividends because it's, it just leads into the solvency of the business so you know a lot of these banks are being forced to hold more more solvency and more capital and again you know we, we invest in the sort of middle to top tier of of the, of the of the capital structure we're not in equity or cocos we're in sort of legacy tier one and above and um, and therefore any sort of dividend suspension uh, to, to create more capital is actually good for us it, it improves the credit quality of the, of the bank so presumably within uh, your your largest holdings in the fund there, there'll be something of a financial presence yeah, definitely. I mean, so, you know, one of our biggest holdings is, is Lloyd's 13% perp. This can come with risks because it's a, it's, a, it's a tier one bond and it's, you know, it's not for everyone. It's not additional tier one, so it's not cocoa. But this, this bond was issued a while back with a very high coupon with no equity conversion trigger. Uh, and as a result of it having no equity conversion trigger beyond the end of uh, next year, the bank won't be able to use it as regulatory capital. And as a result of that, uh, we think these bonds will have to get taken out. Well, particularly in the covenants, the documentation about this bond, there's this really attractive uh, takeout, which is called a make hole, which is basically a, a, a spread compression versus gilts. And, you know, it would push the price up quite significantly if they if they take these bonds out. Um, just doing some analysis recently in October, you know, um, you know, the, the yield to the, to the make hole call on those bonds is, is six and a half percent. Well, you know, generating six and a half percent currently is quite attractive. We've got some other Lloyd's bonds in the portfolio that are yielding 10 and 13 percent to, to, to the make hole call. So so we think that's that's quite an attractive investment. And also in the top 10, you know, holdings, we've got things like uh, Aviva, which is a 58 call 38. And in, in 38, there's a there's a, a similar story of a, of a, of a spend, the gilt plus 80 call. Um, trading well above that and of course beyond 2024 in the insurance sector we've got the same regulatory hurdle to, to get through there's some really attractive investments out there where we've understood the covenants and therefore we've made them quite large positions in our portfolio but i will you know as you just say that these things do come with risk because they tend to be lower down in the capital structure and investors have to be wary of that when they're investing in sure so that sounds like uh, you mentioned at the top that you were uh, very much interested in incoming. It sounds like there's presumably a, a fairly punchy yield on your fund overall at the moment. The yield currently is about 3.6%. We have dropped down from around four. We've got about 100 million in cash at the moment. It's been a big rally in credit and in, in rates markets over the last month or two. And we performed very well as a result of it. But we're not scrambling to reinvest at this point. We're looking for a little bit more value, either guilt yields to hot to, to, to rise a little bit or, or, or credit spreads just to, to weaken or soften out a little bit. Uh, and then we'll put some of that money to work. So um, and if we do, obviously, that'll push the yield back up, um, probably around to sort of 3.8, 3.9 once we get that in, in, into the market. I'm glad you mentioned that, because my next question was going to be um, how the fund is coping, obviously, with the, the current difficulties that we've been facing. You know, we went into we went into we went into December last year really, really well. We, we performed extremely well, loads of risk. And, and again, spreads were quite narrow. So we let cash build up. About a week before lockdown, I, I went into the office. We was working from home before lockdown because we were testing systems. 
And um, I went into the office for two days and myself and Stuart, we, we raised 100 million in cash then. We sold mostly liquid assets uh, where we could get a bid on the view that I was around in 2008 and the biggest issue was, was, was raising liquidity on redemptions. Uh, I had expected a huge amount of redemptions on the funds, but we never got many. Um, in fact, we started getting cash coming in because equity, as you mentioned, equity income got cut, guilt yields were low, cash gave you nothing, you know, you couldn't get any income from anywhere. So we had a lot of cash coming in. So, so we actually put a lot of that money to work in, in the end of March, beginning of April and, um, and May, buying really cheap assets. And they rallied quite aggressively through the summer. So that's been great. Naturally, the fund has not been in airlines and autos, oil, energy, and some of those areas that really struggled because of coronavirus. And, you know, we had a zero waiting to retailers as part of one of our big themes over the last five years. So, so we were, we were in a lot of the, the sectors that were less impacted by, by coronavirus and, and, and some of the weaknesses of lockdown, you know, hotels and gambling, all those as well. So, so we've actually, year to date, I think we're just slightly ahead of the IA corporate sector, which, which if you had told me at the start of the year there was going to be a big credit blowout, I would have taken all day long. The fund does tend to have a higher beta. You know, it's, it's, it likes to take risk. And, and, and so to, to do what we've done this year has been really great. And, you know, the current downturn is very similar. You know, we're positioned likewise. The banks are well supported by central banks. Uh, you know, we, we, the provisioning's been there and... and you know, been a lot of the, the, the earnings releases recently, banks have been beating and so have insurance companies. And so I think we're in, you know, we're set up quite nicely into the year end. Guilt yields, you know, even after massive QE this morning, 150 billion extra, guilt yields have barely budged. So from having a slightly underweight duration, you know, that, that call has been, I think it's going to work us into the year end as well. Uh, US election looked like it'll sort itself out and it's like Biden will win, although it could well be contested. You know, once we get some markets down to uncertainty, once you get some certainty there as well, I suspect uh, treasury yields and guilt yields will rise as well. So I think we're well positioned in this downturn. We continue to, to grow the fund and, and see assets coming in. So probably the most difficult question is, is with that um, backdrop you've just described, what, what is your kind of outlook uh, from here? I pretty much said most of that just then. I mean, it's our longer term themes that we're following. The Anthropocene theme, you know, the humans having a big impact on the environment. So we're looking at renewable energy, we're looking at um, uh, social housing, we're looking at um, sort of the, the final mile delivery for work from home, all shopping, you know, retailers, we're looking at tech, we're looking at smart cities, we're looking at green, you know, these are big longer term themes, you know, the other one I think is the younger youth generation, this is a big theme of mine, and, and sort of looking at the millennial stuff is, um, is the politics around, around the youth at the moment. You know, this is the first generation in history that's earned less than their parents, or modern history that's earned less than their parents. You know, there's, there's massive youth unemployment in Europe, in France and Spain, it's rising in the UK. And yet when we get to 2030, most of the millennials and Gen Z will be controlling the polls. And the numbers of those voters will outweigh the existing older generation. And so I think policy is going to shift and re regulation is going to have to shift. And it's going to be because of these youths actually, you know, taking control of government and taking control of policy. And in that case, what we need to consider is that, that sort of age of disorder where the youth will start and the millennials will start to drive through change. And a lot of that will be social change. You know, the way if you talk to somebody that comes out of university now to somebody that came out of university 50 years ago, their views are completely different. And I think, you know, being investors, we have to be wary of that. The whole sustainability theme is massive at the moment. The drive for sustainability is huge within businesses, within investment. And I think that's a big overarching theme that we need to consider. In terms of coronavirus and, you know, where the outlook from here is, 
vaccine is going to be very important. You know, whether it's going to be successful or not is another matter. And done some research into this, and you know, a, a vaccine's only good if it's going to help the older generation, where coronavirus is really impacting the most. You know, where we go with lockdown at the end of at the end of November, uh, beginning of December is probably key to how we see the year end going but you know all the while we've got governments issuing debt we've got central banks buying it so that's going to keep a lid on on yields you must argue longer term how does that all end i mean are are we ever going to be able to grow our way out to repay the debt that we've just stacked up through this this year that's a big question or will we start to see sovereign defaults at some point in the future i'm not saying that's going to happen this year it could be in you know after my career is finished and what does the global hegemony look like? You know, if the US loses its its global hegemony, you know, how does the treasury market behave in that environment? There's some big questions that need asking, um, but I think they'll probably be kicked down the road a long way as they did in Europe. And what about inflation? Do you think that's a, a factor over the nearer term? Well, I can't see it happening in the near term. You know, we've got, there's arguments for it. There's arguments that cash balances are built up in, in, bank, in, in household bank accounts. And, you know, that once that gets lifted out of the banks and put into the market that would be inflationary you know i think the transmission mechanism is a little bit dead you know the banks have done very well that's why we're investing in them you know non-performing loans should be shooting through the roof at the moment but they're not because they've been hoarding cash and capital and not lending it out it's all well and good central banks printing money but if the banks don't lend it then you're not going to get inflation and they've just not lent it for the last 10 years you know um so unless capital controls come down, you know, so regulators start saying you, rather than having 15% tier one capital, you only need a seven or five, like they did in the old days. I don't think we get inflation. We've seen it in Japan, we've seen it in Europe, low rates don't create inflation, starting to see it in the US. There are arguments for inflation with money supply, you know, monetarists might argue that, but um, at the moment, I, in the very short to medium term, I can't see it happening. And I, and I do think break-evens in the UK at 3% are too high. And of course, within in the UK, we've got the inflation reform possibly having a negative impact as well so not big fan of inflation protection at the moment unfortunately that's all we've got time for brim but thanks very much indeed for those uh, those great insights on uh, where we are where we stand as a world at the moment so that's brin jones lead manager on the rathbone ethical bond fund and thank you also for listening do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast